hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today my guest is Phil Manchester. Hi, Phil. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, pleasure to be here. So, Phil, before we set up the film we're going to be talking about today, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, let's kind of like talk a little bit about us, I suppose. So we've known each other for how long now? 11 years? I was going to say it is a decade plus at this point. Um, so, I mean, like yourself, I were, I'm, I'm a former English teacher. Uh, so we met working in Moscow, appropriately enough, for a Russophile podcast. Indeed, indeed, in the cow, as we occasionally refer to it. Indeed, oh, quite often refer to it, the mossy cow. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, I, I spent a good, what, 15 years or so Uh, living abroad, a stint in Poland, two stints in Poland in Krakow, two stints in Moscow, a stint in Saudi Arabia, which I will gloss over, and, <laughs> uh, and um, two stints in Cambodia as well, before eventually returning to the UK and becoming a minor government functionary. <laughs> That, a minor government functionary sounds like a kind of a character in like a Gogol short story. <laughs> It sounds like the title of a of a Google short story. That's true. That that as well. Well, I hope I hope you have a better fate than than, most, yes. than those tend to. Uh, I, I hope I have a better fate than the lead character of this imaginary short story. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, so yeah. So Moscow was you. You had like two two bites at that particular cherry. Did you? Because I was there like the whole time, and I'm I'm curious whether you noticed a difference between the two stints at all. Because it wasn't that long between. It was only a couple of years between them. I'd say it was noticeably a more pleasant city the second time around. Oh, because okay. it, it developed that little bit more. So it was 2014. Mm. Uh, things were seemed to be a little a little bit more pedestrian friendly. Uh, there was just that little bit more going on culturally as well, it mm. seemed. Or diversity culture, because obviously Moscow's always been a cultural city and we should right. never forget that. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I feel like listeners would, would get a little bit offended if it's like, yeah, 
if if we were thought if people thought we were, we were implying that like prior to 2014 Moscow didn't have any culture and then suddenly it flourished no that is not what we are saying <laughs> not not saying that at all but there was a sort of slightly different feel mm. to to that culture and i guess like more sort of there seem to be more things going on of an even sort of diverser range mm. Yeah, I, can yeah, yeah. T- I, I would I would say that and not that it wasn't you know plenty going on the first time I lived there as well mm. um, but I think one important thing to remember as well is I looked at Moscow differently when I lived there the second time because I was looking at Moscow far more on its own merits mm. whereas Moscow when I lived there before I was was under the shadow of Krakow for me, a city that I had left. It has to be added, heartbroken, due to right. <laughs> due to due to the the sad end of an affair and yeah. uh, and R- romantic entanglements. Yeah. Yes, and and and. Uh, and, and arriving in the middle of winter, admittedly, I also won well, the arriving in the onset of winter, although I arrived in the middle of winter when I moved back, but I <laughs> knew the city. Yeah, I think landing in the min- middle of a Moscow winter would be <laughs> ill advised if it was the, your first rodeo. Yeah, so it was, yeah, it was the onset. I mean, I got there when late November, maybe it was early December. Um, mm. And so, you know, it was starting to get very, very cold. And, and, you know, on the face of it, Moscow can be such an unfriendly city. Yes. I mean, I think it's like probably London in that regard. I mean, I have to say, having never lived there, I'm kind of going off hearsay. But what I've, from what I've heard is that London can be a kind of a bit of a brick wall that you kind of dash yourself against um, if you're if you're unfortunate, uh, like the if you're just moving there for the first time. And you kind of have to hang in there. I mean, I, I made friends quickly. I will, I will mm. say that, and like, and I made friends with Russians quickly as well. But, mm. but there's that moving through the streets element of yes. Moscow, which is an extremely unfriendly city. I think when you, particularly when you first move there. But even even carrying on, you know, the, mm. there's that the, the coldness of people's faces that you can often see. I mean, I just remember having a babushka literally walk through me to get onto <laughs> a me- to get onto a metro train. I was I was stood at the doors right at the front, dead center, waiting for them to open and walk walk off. And mm. ordinarily, I think in almost any city in the world in any culture someone would let you get off first that's accepted <laughs> but oh no like this this um this babushka who was twice as broad as me i would also <laughs> hasten to add just like powered through me like i was one of those like partable like barrier doors <laughs> just like just brushed me aside like i was nothing which is perhaps a comment on how relatively <laughs> spindly i am <laughs> yeah basically like the shortest uh, route between two points is a straight line, and you happen to be in the middle of that straight line. But and and absolutely no, I will let these people get off the train first. It's like I am getting on this train, and like and that was and to me that's a very Moscow thing. Mm. But then also you know there's that Moscow thing of that time I saw a guy dressed in a banana suit on the metro, <laughs> or the other time when I saw. Four people sat on de- on on garden chairs on mm. the metro train, 
<laughs> that they, you know, that they had just like set up and, you know, in front of where you would get out um, or, or the, the, you know, the various other just quirky characteristics mm. of Moscow that made it so, so pleasant. Moving through the metro stations, changing and hearing the Ghostbusters theme tune played by a string quartet. Yes, that was fun. And the other thing, the other you thing. You remember re- that string quartet then? I don't remember that specifically, but I remember those sorts of things happening. I also remember that on the escalators, there would often be music piped in and that it was often very incongruous. I remember, I think it was the Kuznetsky Most station, which is near, near one of the schools where I taught. It would often play an instrumental version of the you know the christmas tune uh, santa claus is coming to town in in the middle of summer because 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 someone just liked the tune apparently and so that was what they were going to play over the over the pa while you were just going down the escalator to you know get to your train just went what <laughs> It's an interesting place. Yeah, absolutely. The quartet I was talking about were a fixture at one of the one of the metro interchanges, very oh, near the first okay. sky school. And like, and mm. you you'd see them a lot. So I would walk past them quite a lot. You almost certainly did. Um, and like, you'd they'd be playing all sorts of things. I heard them do the final countdown as well. And also, <laughs> and like, and but clearly classically trained musicians. Just a lot of a lot of charm. Um, so it's a city I'm very fond of. And but. Mm. But it developed slowly over time when I was first there. But mm. I was also ready to leave. Gotcha. But then after a stint, of, a stint away, I was very ready to be back and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed being there. And then Putin annexed the Crimea. Uh, yeah, which was... Um, which was a thing. Which was a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing I have strong feelings about. Yes. Yeah. But it also had a drastic effect on the value of the ruble. It um, did, didn't it? Yep. <laughs> so, so I um, and I have strong feelings about that as well. As well. And and so I left. Um, well, no, well, I had left, but um, mm. but I didn't go back. I had been considering going back. I was on holiday, and I, I just I made that decision. Of, and I haven't been back since. But I'm long overdue a visit. I would love to go back. Oh my goodness! Yeah, same. I haven't been back since the very end of 2014, and it's just like. Listeners will probably have guessed by this point, but I really miss it. I don't think I want to live there for any length of time in the near future. But yeah, I, I'm long overdue a visit. But yeah, I, there's so much I miss about it. The metro stations, the um, the 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 cheap, affordable football. Um, mm. uh, which, oh, I, I mean, bet. The, the football being very much one of the early manifestations of my Russophilia, my fascination with the Soviet Union football team of the 80s. Oh, OK. OK, that's yeah, that's interesting. I'm guessing you must have read Mark Bennett's book, Football Dynamo, then at some point. I, yes, I have read that. I was uh, I was lent that by um, by a friend. Um, yes. And um, yeah, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating read. And um, and then there's Travels Behind the Curtain as well. The uh, Oh, OK. Uh, which is also which is a much broader Eastern Europe. But, uh, but this is also a bit of a digression for for for. Uh, but yes, um, my, my Russophilia, I think, does begin with a with a love of, of football from that region. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, because the yeah, the Soviet team in the 80s was 
pretty good. I mean, my footballophilia is kind of a long time in my past, but I, 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 you know, my teenage years were filled with many VHSs of like classic matches. So yeah, I vaguely remember that the Soviets were good. Didn't they get to the the final of the eighty eight Euros and then they got. Uh, they they lost to Marco Van Basten essentially. It was Van Basten, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that goal from that virtually impossible angle, like a like corkscrewing himself into a, a ridiculous shape and kicking it over himself. It was and, and a, uh, it, it is a remarkable. It's a remarkable goal, uh, mm. and it's um. Uh, and and they were worthy winners, of course. But the the Soviets had actually beaten the Dutch in the opening game of the competition. You know what? I think that rings a bell. From like that is a fact that like I wouldn't have been able to tell you, but now that you say it, I'm like I had heard that before. Yeah, and There's... I I I loved that team. They were a wonderful side. You know what? That's sounding very much that particular nugget. That sounds very much like a pub quiz question because that's another thing that I think we should bring up about you, Phil, is that <laughs> right. you are the quiz master. Um, uh, yes, yes. So one of my fondest memories about living in Moscow was the Sunday night pub quizzes that you were the MC for and the quiz master and, and everything. They were so much fun. Yeah, and, and that's something you've kept up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so even over like the the peak of the lockdown, running the quizzes on Zoom that you were a regular participant in. Yes, yeah, you were very important uh, to Carrie and I maintaining some semblance of sanity during the uh, yeah the well the initial like six months of the of the lockdown and getting used to like life as it's you know now is, but hopefully won't be like for too much longer just having that to look forward to at the weekend was was really really good and i'm so grateful for that but it, uh, it, but yeah. it kept me sane too which is an important thing to remember yeah no of, of course i can i can imagine that that was yeah having something having a project to work on was probably really helpful as well definitely cool uh so i think we should introduce the film that we're going to be watching today so this speaking of behind the iron curtain as as we were this this is a western film but it's set in in soviet russia uh so it is a, a hollywood attempt to yeah set a story there but it's it's more than that though isn't it phil it's based um, on uh, the the novel by Martin Cruz Smith, um, Gorky Park. Um, yes, the, a a great great detective fiction novel um, featuring Arkady Renko, who is for me possibly the most enduring and fascinating character in detective fiction ever. Um, your Sherlock Holmes is yes, they're interesting, but they're not real. So, so for me, Renko is an, is a, is a very real creation, probably rivaled only by um, Inspector Rebus, created by um, Ian Rankin in his excellent series of books. Um, so, I have a, a, a very strong attachment to this novel, and it's written by an American, but a man who did his research. Mm, yeah, I imagine that must have been a 
a big challenge at that at that time. You couldn't just go on the internet and like visiting presumably was very difficult. Um well I mean there I mean in tourist existed. So I'm I'm I, course, I definitely get yeah. the impression that he did visit. Mm. But uh, but you do have yeah you do have to wonder exactly how he managed to do all of his research. But um Yeah. I, I feel like on the form for interest, like if if you said why you were going and you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to research <laughs> for mystery novels about murders, they'd be like, no, you're not. You're not coming. <laughs> I mean, it's very easy. Just like research for a book. But, or, but, then, but that or might just, be like, or just, tori- <laughs> just Just tourism. Tourism. Yeah. Tourism. It's probably business or, Business one. or pleasure. Pleasure. Done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I should correct the impression that I may have given that, like, you couldn't visit the Soviet Union during the Cold War. You clearly could. Like, tourism was post-Stalin, like, quite big business. It was a it was a source of much-needed hard currency. So they were keen for people to go. It's just like leaving was harder. <laughs> uh, if you look, it, sorry, leaving if you were a Soviet citizen, uh, you know, you had to be someone that they trusted. Uh, wouldn't defect. Yes, I, yes. I, they were not, keen I, for people to go, but keen mm. for people to go where they wanted them to go. Exactly, and to say nice things when they came back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I get the impression that it was a very staged managed. But then there's the then there's the whole like uh, Potemkin village tradition that they had to keep up. So you know that's that's that. Um, yeah. So so this is a adaptation of that of that novel um it's interesting i want to say it was uh, filmed within a couple of years of the of the book coming out which it it was yes the book the book came the book was from 1981 and the Mm. films from 1983 and you haven't seen the film yet i I have not i have Uh, not and i have but well over 30 years ago because i saw it when i was a teenager so i i would say actually also an early stage of my russophilia mm. so i would have seen it maybe even when i was a pre-teenager like maybe i was 12 i'm not sure but the film came out in 1983 which was when i was 10 oh, uh, okay i, saw it, I was I saw gonna it a few say years later on on, you... on the i saw it on the tv on the bbc oh i see yes i've I've talked about this on a recent episode, but that was something like growing up that seemed like it was a bit a much bigger deal than it is now because of like changes in like how you distribute films. But I remember film premieres when I was growing up being a quite a big deal. The first time a film would come on the TV, it was like, oh, it was it's an event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas and, now and, it's just and, like, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's normal, yeah. But um, so I so I saw that, and I haven't seen it since. Mm. Um, but then I read the book soon after because I enjoyed the film, and then mm. the book is something that has stayed with me. I've read every other Arkady Renko novel. I've read Gorky Park numerous times. I I would say at least five. Oh wow! Okay, so it's going to be really interesting to see whether the film whether it stands up, whether you still like it this time around and like how it matches up with, with the book that you now know so well, that's going to be, that's going to be really fascinating. Absolutely. A book, I, a book, I know a book I love and a film that I saw before I, a film that caused me to read the book, but I Mm. haven't seen since. Gotcha. Um, 
So this adaptation is by Michael Apted, and we should probably get on with watching it. So there is a thing that we always say at this point in the show as we launch into the film, and that thing is Payekhali. And Phil, what's the significance of Payekhali? Payekhali was what was said by that true hero of mankind, Yuri Gagarin, as he launched into space for the first time, strapped into a tin can. (laughs) indeed yeah what a magnificent human being indeed indeed and he sounds like he was he was a nice guy as well it seems like everyone really liked him he was globally loved i mean he was a global hero he wasn't a soviet hero he was a hero for the planet because you do actually see the pictures of him he toured Mm. he did tour the world i mean i you know i think i think the world he certainly saw a lot of places outside the soviet union this was someone Mm. they wanted to show off and he and he you can't fake a smile like Yuri's. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a book sitting on my to-read pile about his visit to Manchester, I think. <laughs> you know, appropriately enough. <laughs> um, and then after you've read that, I'd like to borrow it. Yes. Um, we, we should actually point out that although we are recording this um, in... Um, we live tw- 20 minutes away from each other, half yes. an hour. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I guess I, I was going to say we grew up within like miles of each other, but we, there was a bit of an age gap. So you were probably. <laughs> Lord knows where I was when you were growing up. and Lord <laughs> knows what condition I was in as well. <laughs> yes. From what I've heard, the ni- 90s Phil had had a busy time of things. The 90s happened. I'm reliably informed I was having quite a good time. Yeah, it's, it's like the, the thing people say about the 60s, right? <laughs> the... Yeah, exactly. Uh, only upside down (laughs) right right uh indeed okay so uh three two one payahali look no face sliced right off This one too. Butchered. Faceless. All three of them. Who are they? And we're back. Phil Manchester and I have just finished watching Gorky Park directed by Michael Apted. And before we let you know what we thought of the film, we're going to have a quick summary of the plot from Phil. So, this being a detective thriller, the spoiler warning is probably more important than ever, (laughs) than usual. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know how it turns out, this is the time, if you haven't already to pause the podcast and watch the film. That being said, over to you, Phil. What's the film about? So um, the film, pretty much like the book, opens with the discovery of three faceless corpses buried in the snow in Gorky Park. 
Yes, very ghoulish. We, and, and a great opener to a book and, a, and also to a film, I think. I mean, obviously, we have the scenes of skating in the film, but um, and then you get to that open. Um, and so then our, yeah, I think we can call him our heroic investigator, Arkady Renko. Uh, intrepid. Intrepid is a good a word. A fascinating character who I will go into more later. Uh, hmm. But he gets embroiled with... Um, I, shall we say, a beautiful dissident, an urbane American furrier. Uh, I don't know if my pronunciation is right there. Furrier? Furrier? Uh, yeah. um, and, um, and then also, of course, as you would expect, some forms of official corruption in, in the Soviet machine. Yes, the KGB may be featuring heavily in this film. <laughs> but, and, and, and not just the KGB, yeah. Mm, yeah, 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 uh, and and that's that's it in a nutshell. I think really that is it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay, great. So, uh, what did you think of it? You're new to it, whereas I, it's a story I know well. I mean, obviously, the book more than the film. So, what did you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. I found I was gripped pretty much the whole way through. I think there was one chase sequence where I was kind of. Like, I'm I'm not actually not that into this, but all of the investigation stuff I was super into. I really liked all of the characters. I liked the attention to detail. I thought it was a damn solid thriller, to be honest. Uh, how about you? How was as someone who has seen the film before and knows the book pretty much inside out? Did you have a similar reaction or was it a bit more complicated than that? I'd say it's a little more complicated. I mean, um, for me, they took something great and made something pretty good. Okay, that's not too bad when you're doing an adaptation. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, watching it the second time around, I certainly did not hate it. In fact, I enjoyed it. There's a lot about it to enjoy. But I was also, as I knew I would be, very much aware that the book is so much better. Okay, so let's delve into that a bit. In what ways would you say the film falls short of the book? Um, in a way, I'd actually say that the criticism on that front would be more connected to the format. I, I have no issues actually with the truncation of the plot to to an extent okay no issues isn't accurate okay to an extent i do not have issues with the truncation of the plot i think it moves you're mostly happy with truncation i mean it moves at a fair clip i feel um you're introduced to arena the beautiful dissident very quickly and osborne uh the uh, the american very quickly much more quickly than you are in the book um which is a good thing in the book but in terms of the film getting going, I have no issues with that. I'd say my further issues I'd like to get to after we've talked about what you liked about it. OK, I I think I liked the I liked the efficiency. Like, I mean, that sounds like a very odd thing to praise about it, but it just kind of it rattled along. I think efficiency is important. It's yeah, I think it's it's definitely a virtue <laughs> in filmmaking. I mean, I think yeah, especially in this genre, you don't want to be like pootling around too much. Yeah, I I think the the actors do a great job of 
getting you to know who the characters are quite quickly. Yep. And I just found it really more atmospheric than I expected it to be. Like, I have to say, like, I've had this kind of like on the shelf to cover for quite a long time, but this being a Western production set in the so- the, the Soviet Union, I was kind of thinking this could be a disaster. This could be really kind of too simplistic or a bit silly, but I thought it did a good job of not being simplistic. A lot of that's down to the source material. Mm, right. But a lot of it is down to them as filmmakers as well, because they do a great job, because obviously they did not film it in Moscow. Yeah, this is an interesting detail. What did you think as far as as somebody like me who's lived there for quite a long time? You know, did it do a good enough job to kind of like give you the impression that it is for Moscow? For me, yeah, 100%. Same, same. And that was something I was super impressed yeah. by because, you know, obviously for the average the average viewer who hasn't been there, it probably doesn't matter. But So I super respect that the filmmakers went to the effort of actually making it look like it. Do you know where it was filmed? I do, but quick quick thing I wanted to mention in passing because I found this out and was kind of a little bit surprised. So I found that there was a Variety article that implied that they actually asked permission to shoot in Moscow and were denied, which I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not surprised it was denied, but I'm surprised they even asked, to be honest. But, you know, good for them. I believe they did <laughs> ask. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's my understanding. They did ask and were denied. Oh, okay. Hardly surprising. No. But, um, <laughs> yes, this doesn't paint the Soviet Union as a particularly nice place, which... Um, it, it doesn't, but it also doesn't paint it completely as a horrible place. I would say the issues of trying to film something like this is that it deals with corruption in places that they right, really right. wouldn't want to have in a film. They, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 the machine yeah. rather than the people. Like cuz that was what I was worried about is that something set in this period in the Cold War like is going to be Rocky Four, where all the Russians are evil. <laughs> and, and it's anything but, anything but. It's anything but, yeah, absolutely. So I like that for how not black and white it was. Um, so in terms of where it was shot, my initial guess was Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. just because of how much the buildings did look Eastern Bloc-ish. And they also had, as you probably know, like a long-standing beef with the uh, yeah, with yes. the Soviet Union. Yes. They were communist, but non-Warsaw Pact aligned. So I thought maybe it's Yugoslavia, but it turns out that the most Soviet-looking bits were probably Helsinki. Which, you know, used to be a Russian city, of course. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, it was in the Russian Empire and broke away. And, and in the Cold War... It's, if memory serves, it was it was neutral. It wasn't in NATO. Essentially, yes, yes, yeah. And that was kind of like a, yeah. It obviously, it wasn't communist, but it also was kind of like mm, it decided to kind of stay neutral wisely. Basically, yeah, yeah, because it's because of who they had on their doorstep. Mm. So, so yeah, so that was really impressive. I wasn't there wasn't anything where I was kind of like. 
<laughs> That's definitely not Russia, even no. though I knew that it wasn't. And the interiors felt right too, as well, didn't they? Mm, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah like the kitchen, the kitchens and stuff. Um, it's you know the flats. They seemed very familiar. Like I, I get the the impression that the people doing the set decoration and stuff, they'd either been there or they just re- were really meticulous. This was really not a phoned-in film. This is this was people you know, did their due diligence and that really helped me get into it because I there wasn't a ton of things that I was just being distracted by. Um and just be like, well that's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so that so that helped. To 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 the shop signs and the you know like the uh, that all all of that felt right. Yeah? Yeah. 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 I mean I'm sure if you're Russian and old enough to remember the Soviet Union in the early 80s, there probably are things that you would see that neither of us would see. But like from people who lived in, in you know, post-Soviet Moscow for a long time, it didn't seem, it didn't like break the illusion and, and take me out. So that was, that was good. Yeah. yeah. In terms of things that did slightly take, me out but i kind of got over it and it didn't bother me was joanna pacula who plays Irina. her accent was an odd choice i mean i think that's probably her accent she's polish because... yeah so it's i think it it's patsua i think actually it's uh is probably see this is this is why we get someone who lived in cracker for a long time <laughs> but but also i mean i i didn't know um but like because obviously you can't tell but the the l is the l with the little line through it as in wood oh yes so, yes, yes. It, it, I, I, I actually found out when i looked her up in wikipedia a little while ago and i was like oh <laughs> yeah so back to things that so her accent jarred a little bit for you why is it just um um i think it was just because everyone else They'd, they'd made a decision that we're not doing accents. Yes. Like, it's essentially essentially like the American characters are American, they have American accents, and everyone else is British. Including William Hurt as well. Including William Hurt, who isn't. Yeah, but everyone's doing British accents. Yes. Yeah. So that there's kind of like you're yeah. clear that they're somehow different from Americans. And, they, and there's consistency, but you're not. yes. Exactly. And there's and there's differentiation because it's not like everyone speaks, you know, with an RP accent. I mean, William Hurt is more that way, but you've got more working class accents in there as well. Yeah, Michael Elphick so it kind of gives you Pasha. Yeah, yeah. Or we do have to return to casting at some yes, point. But yes, yeah, that is definitely something I want to cover. But yeah, the the fact that you've got some differentiation there makes it feel a bit more real, and you're not distracted by people going hello i am russian (laughs) which is always always a bit much i find just a tad (laughs) yeah my rule is if it's a russian character speaking english then yes fine if they have an accent it's when they're speaking to each other it's like they wouldn't have a they wouldn't have accents in that way. Yes. It's stupid. Don't do it. Yes, indeed. Um, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind of got over that. I mean, they do mention she's from Siberia, but yeah, yeah whatever. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but she does She does look very much like she's from that general part of the world. Excuse, excuse me, please, Polish listeners. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I agree, it did for me as well. Like I, I noticed it. And William Hurt, like he has very piercing blue eyes. That not that Eastern Europeans have a monopoly on blue eyes, but he he does like he's kind of believable as like a stereotypical Russian in some ways. Um, I think the casting of the two leads is inspired. I think if you're going to have an American actor play Renko, which obviously you do for that box office demand, I think William Hurt's an excellent, excellent choice. Okay, so so no quibbles you know, there. Yeah, he's a fine actor. Um, I think the look is right. He is actually kind of how... I Possibly because I did see the film first, even though... Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. But I always picture Renko as William Hurt-esque in my mind. Gotcha. And now Lee Marvin, he's portrayed in the book as much more tanned. Oh, okay, because I thought it was pretty leathery anyway. Yes, well, yeah, it's true. But he seems even more sort of tanned in the book. But I think he's inspired casting. Like, it, okay. It, yeah, his um, air, the manner, the capability of the man, which is incredible. It's vitally important for casting that role. Like, Osborne yes. has to be super capable. When you actually realize in the book, you don't find out, but he spent actually a lot of time, his involvement, in this part of the world comes from World War Two, in oh, which he was actually okay. part of uh, getting relief to some, to to Leningrad during the siege oh, and okay, operating behind okay. lines and all sorts of things. Um, and so there is a capability to the character um, and a, a steeliness that Lee Marvin obviously has because he's Lee Marvin <laughs> in spades. <laughs> you know? And I. Th- think i'm right in saying he he actually he did he did serve in world war ii he's of that age oh, he, he's to the um, right age yeah he almost certainly did yeah yeah, yeah. um oh, what was i going to say i mean they briefly allude to the fact well he says you know i met Stalin." yes yeah so they kind of allude to the fact he's been to that part of the yes, world yeah. um and and, and, and he obviously would have been a much yeah. much young yeah, a much younger man because 1953 is yeah. 30 years ago yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, when is it set? Is is actually a good question to me. I think I always think of it the book as being in the late 70s, not the early 80s. Oh, okay. But it's never it's never blatantly stated. But that's just my okay. So I noticed a thing, and this may have been changed from the book. They, I think they mention that. Somebody mentions Brezhnev yeah. being dead now. Uh, yes, yeah. And that's not I in the also, book, no. Right, right. And I also think that one of the photographs I saw on the wall uh, was Andropov, who was his successor. So, I mean, that's not a face I'm as familiar with because he wasn't around for very long, at least not as not as uh, general secretary. But, oh, no. But, yeah, they have some pictures around which... Ninety-five percent sure we're, we're him, so I think it's it's like post post Brezhnev. Yeah. Whereas the book is pre Brezhnev because Brezhnev died in nineteen eighty-two. Oh, okay. So yeah, so pre Brezhnev dying. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But it's still it's still very much in that kind of like late seventies kind of stagnation as well. Oh yes, for sure. You know, you know, we're well into the stagnation. Yeah, period. not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Yes, definitely, definitely. There's there's a mm. definite sense of that in the book. Uh, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. 
Yeah, so so you're happy with how the leads work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, what was it that you felt kind of s- like slightly fell short of the book? Okay, this is no criticism of William Hurt at all, because I think he's excellent. But Renko but... is a more fascinating, layered character in the book. And that's partly because the personal world around him is much more fleshed out. And for whatever reason, probably valid, probably reasons of timing. I think as I did, I mention, I think it, it would quite, I maybe didn't mention, I think it would make, if made now, an absolutely incredible miniseries. Yeah, right? I, I agree. I felt like, I felt like there was, as a film length, it was, it was fine, but like, I don't think I'd want it to be a longer film, but I could, I could see this being like three one-hour episodes and me being oh, free, free. into that. Would, or, th- that would know. be too short. You need nine, you, you'd need four oh, and okay. a half hours, I think, at least to do the book mm. solid justice. Oh, okay. So in terms of in terms of Renko, you do get the air uh, there the cynicism is there, the self-deprecating wit is there, but it's not as blatant. The line about the um KGB cars. Mm, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's actually, I like it's that. a great line. And that's actually Dennis Potter. I don't think that's Chris Smith. I, but, but, it, okay. but it is the sort of thing that Renko would say, because actually that scene doesn't happen in the book. Oh, Things like okay. it do. Okay. Um, Renko first encounters Osborne listening to him on surveillance tapes. For example, oh, nice. and, uh, which uh, and 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 this is great in the book, but I can see why they would lose it from the film because it's not it's less visual. Um, but his his what Renko's wit shines out throughout the books, in fact. Um, and I'll mm. later on I will talk about where Renko ends up as well. You know, just to just when we're wrapping up because it is interesting to touch upon. Um, but but um, but you know, a little more of that would have been nice. But it is a very it's a serious book and it is a very serious film but like the dry wit is there in a lot of his like the cynicism the one-liner you know about the sort of situation the society they live in yeah i i have to say there was one brilliant i guess it was yeah a non-verbal response that was really funny quite early on like i think this was with pasha basically they're having lunch in a stolovaya a cafeteria and Renko is go- is rushing off because he, he realizes he has to do something, and Pasha is like, "You're not having dessert," <laughs> and Renko just makes like this noise of derision, <laughs> and that's and that's very subtle. But that if you know the reputation of Stolovaya food, you will think that joke is funny. <laughs> so I like the fact that they put that joke in there, even though they would have known that most people aren't going to get no. why he makes that noise. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I liked that. And there was there was funny lines throughout. Like, it wasn't trying to play it as a comedy, but there were lines where I was just like, I like that people have a sense of humour yeah, in this. Yes, because, because they do, and Russians do. And that's also yes. very evident in the books. Very evident. Yeah, and the gallows humour yeah. in particular. Oh, and very much so. Is... Dry, gallows, cynical humour. 
Yeah, like just some of the interaction between Renko and the pathologist. I can't remember the specifics, but I did like that back yes, and forth. Yes, and yeah, and that's stronger in the book, as as I did mention to you earlier. But you know, they, yeah, they're, they're, you know, uh, the the pathologist, they they're friends. You can tell. Um, yeah. But what what what's lost is his father, the general, is mentioned. Yes, uh, several times actually. Yeah. But but not to the degree of the book, and you do not get the impression. Renko's relationship with his father is very difficult. Another thing to remember, of course, is that, well, and this isn't mentioned at all, is Renko's mother died when Renko was young and she committed suicide. Oh, I see, see. Uh, and the implication certainly is part of that is due to the relationship with the father, the father being who he is, because his father's a war hero as well, okay. which is also yeah. he's not just the general; he's a war right, hero. right, right. And they and they allude to that, like, and uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the KGB, Prebluda. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. we'll, and we will talk about Prebluda later as well. Oh, okay, because <laughs> he he makes some crack about like, well, your father at least was good at his job. <laughs> Yeah, which is of course an unfair crack because Renko is excellent he's at his job. Very he has a hundred. He has a hundred percent record. <laughs> right. The problem. The problem is he's too good at his job. Well, and he and we find out that he had basically got the bluder for murdering somebody. And... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. The other thing we think so in 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 the book Renko's married, but his marriage is disintegrating. Oh, okay. and another one of the reasons that his marriage is disintegrating. So Renko is the son of a general of a war hero who was stalled at chief investigator level. Partly mm. that's his level. I mean, he's a brilliant investigator, but he can't go any further because Renko isn't a party member. Ah, uh, okay. I wondered whether that was yeah that was part of it i i didn't think necessarily that specifically although that totally makes sense definitely you get the feeling that he is not on board with the yeah. system like yeah he wants he's to do a, a good dissident, job no but but he is also he's not a true believer and i'm wondering is was his father is does that is that in? Oh is no, that yes, in the he's, book? He's, 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 yeah. He, I mean, his father is um, you know, like a friend of Stalin, a oh, war okay. hero. Gotcha, um, gotcha. You know, like um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, and so, and Renko's wife is is also fairly amb ambitious, and so Renko's mm. wife leaves him in the book, and so this is also part of the background of him meeting Irina, who is so much more fascinating, and I guess free and alive and you know sort of not part of this system at all and you can tell and i don't think you get the sense of this so much in the in the film how fascinated renko is by arena as he's investigating yeah like i feel when they get together in in the film it's very it's very sudden yes and and it's sort of sudden in the book in a way, but it isn't. Okay, if that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> okay, gotcha. It is an about face, but yeah, it's just he's very very professional to towards her. You don't feel like he's hitting on her in any way, and then suddenly, like, like you don't get the impression he's he's interested in her i mean he's <laughs> uh he's you know he's probably not 
oblivious to how attractive she is, but no. uh, but he's not kind of like making eyes at her or or anything. Um, no. And then like suddenly, <laughs> you know, they're in bed together. And it's kind of like okay. I yeah. mean, Where that it, sort of it's makes not sense. Not at all jarring in the book. Okay, that's that's good to know because that was slightly like okay. It's a Hollywood film. The you know, two attractive leading characters do have to end up in bed together, but this was a little bit sudden. And I felt like, again, I uh, I think Joanna, you're going to correct me on the pronunciation. <laughs> it's uh, Pat, Patsua, more or less. Uh, yeah. Patsua does a, <laughs> yeah, she does a good job with what she's given, but what she's given isn't a ton. Yeah. So that's, that's a, criticism she's kind of a little um underwritten or like yeah under fleshed out but again it's i think i feel like it's a they're probably sacrificing her character development for pacing mm-hmm. yeah for pacing and the fact that a lot of sort of renko's fascination comes with the fact that one he sees her i mean because he does the scene of him going to sort of meet her in the studio because she's the first lead because of the skates mm, mm. yeah um you know so that that that's yeah pretty much as as portrayed it's um obviously she obviously also crops up on the surveillance tapes and there's uh and you know there there are more interactions between the two of them and and you know like the and there's the fascination is there you can sort of tell yeah okay. um so yeah, I mean that that's about sort of more I could say yeah about the um about Renko and his character but I do think those are key details. And you see sort of less of his friends which gives also more of a just a nice sense of the day-to-day life in the Soviet Union. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some some there, and there, and some lovely little scenes that for, set, for just for timing here I won't go into but they flesh out the book but I can see why they're not in the film. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, cuz you've crazy. got yeah, exactly. And just trying to keep the runtime to a, like, people will actually go and see this. <laughs> yeah, a bladder-friendly, manageable length. Yeah. So then other, other things. So there's less police work in the in the film, uh, which is a criticism and a strength because timing. But it also means that um, other characters don't shine as much. I mean, it's interesting that you touch upon Pasha. Again, Pasha is, he, I feel he gets a slight disservice in the film. It's Pasha who works out about the um, the 1812 overture, for example. It's not Arkady. Oh, okay. Then, okay. You know, little things like that. But then it, it makes sense in the film because you're showing off Arkady being the genius investigator by having that be this flash of inspiration from him in, in that scene. Yeah, but we do see some competence from him because we see how he's managed to get a file off uh, the names escaping me, but the American uh, policeman who is uh, no, 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 the the KGB mole. The, uh, oh, that's that's right. Sorry, yes, because uh, yes. he gets because he gets he gets them drunk. He gets drunk, but he gets the other person drunker so he can steal the thing off them. Uh, so yes, absolutely yeah yeah he he clearly knows his assignment and can get the job done even if he gets completely sussled yes and, and the again the, the, and again the friendship between Renko and Pasha is clear which is which mm. is also you know like a, a key part of 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 the um of the early stages 
like then so just what else um there are other scenes and other bits of dialogue that i think were just better played um so then there's the scene in the street where um irena sort of quite passionately and sort of vehemently says um to him you know that she thinks her friends are out and have got out of the country now in the book that's played much better the line about uh, working for a leper organization in is is in the book that is a, that is a, which is and it is a great line which she, you know when she describes um uh, renko as a leper working for a leper organization oh, okay uh, the, the um um but um in the book i read her deliverance as as much calmer but also when that leads to the the to him sort of pressing her into saying you know because my friends got out because you know that is her firm belief that her friends have made it out to, to the state whereas in in the book she has like this you know sort of calm air and it's arkady who tells her that you think they got out and i think that's much stronger okay and less melodramatic and and that scene could have been played that that way in the film and so i feel that was a decision of adaptation that didn't work for me. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think it because I didn't know how it was done the other way. It didn't stand out to me as like wrong. But when you've got the comparison point, I can see why you would be like, I preferred it the other way. Yeah, um, and 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 likewise with the use of the reconstructed head, getting her to um, to open up to you know to to say you know who what happened to her friends where she mm. thinks they went um and so here are spoilers in in the book that reconstructed head has actually already been taken and destroyed in oh, the way the okay. other head happens in in the film um but it shows off renko's ingenuity in that he just takes an example dummy head and puts it in a box and makes like he's going to show it to her because he knows she's going to close her eyes. Interesting. I can see why they made that change, though. Because I can see be... why they made that change. Difficult to film. Difficult to... Very difficult to convey that on film. And I really liked that scene. It was kind of like, you feel like he's being kind of cruel, but he kind of needs to be to he get her. To be. He has to be for her to accept the fact that her friend is has not defected she's dead yeah yeah and and that that but that and that scene again is very much in the book that dialogue it's just the fact that he doesn't actually have the head in the box he just has a mm. head um but 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 what but what i like about it is it's in the book you see is he's pushed to extremes more Mm, okay like he realizes what an awful situation he is as he feels everything closing in on around him and yet he doggedly pursues the truth yeah but i felt like i did get that from the film <laughs> yeah i guess so but then so 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 to give it a scale of you get a sense of so much more of that mm, okay yeah see this just watching this film made me want want to read the book and made me want to read the rest of the books just because I was like, you know, I mean, you can make great films out of ho-hum books, but it's harder, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. It's it's more usual that you have a really good book and then sometimes if you're lucky, you get a really good adaptation. And I, as I say, I haven't read the book, but this seemed like 
this seemed like it was going off really good source material. Oh yeah, 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 and 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 it is, it does do a good job, and you know Dennis Potter wrote it, so you know he's uh, he's not an amateur. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say that name rings a bell, and I'm totally drawing a blank on uh, it. <laughs> Pennies from Heaven, the Singing Detective. Um, he he's perhaps a little before your time, but uh, he he's one of the great British television scriptwriters of the seventies uh, and okay. the eighties. Uh, and yeah, that's he was, probably he, why the name rings a bell, but I can't quite place him. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. people have so um, older listeners of a certain age will know exactly who I'm talking about. Mm, you know, gotcha, for gotcha. sure. Yeah, you know, he's he's one of the bigger figures of British British television drama. So so yeah yeah. Um, We'll talk. Let's talk a little bit more about casting, and then I'll talk a little bit about Prebluda and the end. <laughs> because, okay. But I think yeah, if yeah, we yeah. if we tangent back to people who are in the film, and then yeah, I think the reason this works as well as it does is because the cast it's it's low key, but it, if you can even have this, it's low key stacked. It's so right. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliantly put, <laughs> like. Like it's just like wall to wall character actors, <laughs> doing, character actors dripping doing, out of your beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing a fantastic job. Um, like I want the two I want to bring up first because, like, because of their connection, you can't have future alumni. So excuse the oct- oxymoron, <laughs> but you've got two future. Uh, with Nail and I cast members, and we both love that film. So. Uh, and it, it is the best British film ever made. So, you know, that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I feel like I haven't seen enough British film to be confident in my opinion, but that is also my opinion, even though it's not a qualified one. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fair, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we've already mentioned Michael Elphick, who is the poacher in With Nail and I, but yeah, Indeed, as, yes. as Pasha. Here, here, here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, listeners, if you haven't watched With Nail and I, you need to. It's so yeah. good. Well, you um, can't be covered on this because there's zero Russian connection. But... No, well, actually, there is a tiny Russian connection. There's a tiny Russian connection, and that is... At the beginning of the screenplay, Bruce Robinson apparently, I haven't read this screenplay, but apparently he wrote, uh, Dostoevsky has described hell as perhaps a room with a chair. Well, this room has two. I'm sure he writes it slightly better (laughs) than my paraphrase. (laughs) Uh, uh, That's, yeah. And, and, and if that doesn't make people want to watch the film if they haven't then i don't you know like uh, i don't know what will yeah also also at one point because he's a thespian with nail disses chekhov for <laughs> how people are always talking about ducks going to moscow <laughs> uh, yes. so there's a there's a there's a there's a, a, a very tenuous russian yeah, connection yeah, but it's you, there we, we, we can't you can't you can't build a podcast around it though no, I don't think I can. I don't think I can crowbar that in as an episode <laughs> yeah. uh, of this show. But I have talked about it on another show. I've talked about it on Flixwise Canada. So if you're interested in hearing that, dear listener, then yeah, just Google that and you can find it. It was that was a fun, fun time. <laughs> but but yes, to future with Nail and I cast members. So we've mentioned Michael Elphick, and then we've also got Uncle Monty himself. 
Richard Griffiths. He was the, he's the really wonderful good. Richard Griffiths, yeah, a, a character that's not in the book. Oh, really? I... He's a co- he's a composite. Ah, oh, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he does do he does do a great job. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, you feel like he's he's not in it a ton, but you just get so much from so little. Like there's he's not got a ton of screen time, but you he feels like a real person. Yes. Yeah. 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 He does feel like a real person, the, and the people who he has replaced as well do feel like real real people so yeah um and and he's a great actor anything's enlivened by having richard griffiths in it even if it's just in three scenes or is it four it's but it's 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 the merest handful uh but it's still enough yeah i'm trying to think who else i wanted to mention oh yeah that's right alexi sale yes alexi sale as golodkin yes as the black marketeer <laughs> yeah that was some good casting as well like because there's just i don't know there's something about alexi sale where it's kind of like i don't know he just he just kind of oozes this kind of slight dodginess <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, again actually his interrogation scene plays out differently in in the in in the book um that but was I can... that, that was very that was sorry. That was very genre y. <laughs> yeah, and I I know exactly why they did it. Um, also, actually, the the initial attempt on um, Irina's the, the attempt on Irina's life also plays out differently. In the in 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 the book, it actually takes place in Ploshchad Revolutia Metro Station. Oh, okay, yeah, and that is a very distinctive metro station. So that would have been a fun one for the designers to recreate. So I can see why they didn't do that. But they instead have Renko jumping through a window, which is nice and cinematic. Just as the interrogation scene of Golodkin is nice and cinematic, I can see why they made those those decisions. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it does it does seem a little <laughs> a little bit much, but you kind of like again, as I say, make allowances for genre. Um, I'm trying to think. If if there's any other cast members that there I is. wanted to mention. Okay, yeah. of course there is. Of course there yes. is. How could I forget? Uh, so, yeah, over to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of interesting because although I saw the film probably, yeah, I did see the film after I saw Return of the Jedi, uh, a year or two after, um, young me didn't register, <laughs> but older me definitely did. I mean, and I knew he was in it, but when you see the, the, um, the university professor who reconstructs the faces from the from the skulls uh, and it's a great little cameo role just as it's a great sort of cameo um in the book as well um but the the voice the distinctive voice of emperor palpatine himself uh, ian ian mcdarmid as as the uh, as the university professor anthropologist expert and uh reconstructor of faces yeah yeah, it's so good, and there's the fact that he's like he's super suspicious, and it's just yes. like I don't want this job. And then basically, like Renko kind of just says enough to make him want to do it. Yes, <laughs> just piques his interest enough. Oh, and in terms of macabre comedy, the bringing the heads in the boxes is just like ooh, it's just <laughs> it's funny, but it also makes your blood chill <laughs> yes uh and and um the uh the cleaning committee as well of course as well 
just and and those little shots of um of that that it just cuts to of him working on the skulls as the um as the mm. investigation progresses. I, I yeah. that's actually really nice that they just inter intercut into that. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. there isn't this isn't a film with a ton of gore, but it has enough, and it is kind of like I think there's stuff from this film that will stay with me because it's kind of like oh. Um, there is like just this kind of horror element in there that just makes it that bit more effective. Like, and they're very sparing, and I think that's good because it means that it it's effective each time, and it doesn't desensitize you to the kind of yeah the horrific nature of what you're seeing. Because mm. it is a horrific crime, of course. You know, yeah, just ghoulish. Because that's that's the bit of the. Maybe if you're smarter than me, you would you would twig Furrier R I C now, yeah. But that was kind of like, oh, that is ingenious. That's why he knows how to how to do yes. that. And uh, uh, more of made more, of course, is made of that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's it's you know instantly who the antagonist is when they arrive, and you do in the book too. Mm, okay. And, yeah, like it's it's not a who done it. No, it's a how and why and the kind of the intricacies, definitely, yes. definitely, it's, it's, and 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 just the richness of the setting and the fact that certainly, well, probably because I doubt there was a book of it like it in Soviet Russia. Uh, so the uniqueness of it when it arrived, as well, the freshness that someone, an American, had written a thriller set behind the Iron Curtain in the capital essentially of 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 that entire eastern block yeah and done it with a degree of credibility because i'm sure there was plenty of people like who could have a stab at it and make it not believable at all to to people who kind of knew the realities that it would just kind of paint things with extremely broad brush strokes and not do it well but i thought this was really well well done this kind of like yeah it was just it just seemed plausible to me and that helped me with the buy-in. I have to say, in the book, is it obvious that uh, that Renko's... I'm drawing a blank on the name of the character again. Is it Yamskoy? Yamskoy. Yeah, y- Yamskoy. Yeah, in the film, I had a pretty strong sense early on that even though he seems like a very sympathetic boss to Renko, I was pretty sure pretty early on that he was a wrong un. <laughs> Right. Um, but no, I don't think so. I don't think it's obvious. He that's more of the shock. But because okay. there are more people around. So you've got more people around to possibly be wrongans, as you put it, who are in, on that Soviet side. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so I think it's sort of less... Less okay, because that was that was not a surprise to me at all when it was right. the reveal. I was going, yep, yep, I had that pegged, but it didn't spoil my enjoyment. It was just like I saw it coming from a mile away. But um, I, I think he's also actually slightly less sympathetic immediately in the book. Hmm. In okay. The, in that you get this sort of almost paternal sense in the film. Of, mm, or, yes. or mock paternal sin, and there's not that in the in the in the book. 
Okay, is it more like he's just his boss? Yes, I mean he 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 values him or appears to value him, but he also seems a much harder character in the books. Interesting, and, and therefore, in a way, it's less obvious. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, and then then a, a character I do want to talk about is Prebluda the KGB, who is basically he who isn't a villain. Oh, in okay. The no, he's not. I mean, he is. I mean, in, he's a KGB officer. He's done bad things. There's history between him and Renko. He has absolutely no involvement in the plot. And in, in, and in fact, Prabluda and Renko sort of come to a sort of understanding by the end of um, the book. Um, I won't go into in depth because, you know, it wouldn't make sense. But yeah, so they, they, you know, they, so there are elements that are, yeah, that are different. And I just feel that's a shame in a way because Prebluda's that much more fascinating in that you have this KGB who is clearly set up to be the person you think is going to be involved or the villain. And hmm. he actually, he actually isn't. Is he brutes yes he is he's a he's a kgb officer you know mm. uh but he's he's more complex than that and um there and there there is a sort of there's an element there's a, there is a scene in the book where where um it takes um renko a lot longer to get to the west for the climax in the book because renko ends up being basically sort of stabbed and the only reason he survives is because he hasn't eaten anything for days <laughs> <laughs> okay you know, yeah so you really again you get the sense of how far renko pushes himself to the edge it's like okay. in the in the book which you don't in 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 the in the film just the extremities of it um and he ends up having to sort of um uh recuperate in a sanatorium in the countryside and prebludas his guard <laughs> nice and and, and uh, sort of guard, sort of warder, but sort of also just there, and they they end up sort of bonding to an extent. And but Prebluda supposed to execute him is the certainly definitely the the inference. But Prebluda decides not to for various reasons, which yeah, you know, like uh, which um you know uh, uh, would be, will become clear when you read it. And I do definitely recommend most heartily that you do and, and anyone listening if if it hasn't been for the fact that by the nature of this i'm revealing a lot of what happens in it um, right 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 yeah, yeah. But that, that, that's the nature of this beast it is it is indeed yeah. yeah and and so to the ending as well and the ending in the book doesn't take place in scandinavia it actually takes place in new york oh no way <laughs> um which um makes the end again richer because of course um so um major major spoiler at the end our beautiful dissident does stay in the west as she should and renko returns to the soviet union but his speech about being a russian and what do you see so to me that that has less impact you know when he says like i'm a russia russian i belong in russia i don't belong here but he's not really been in sweden long enough and sweden's you know it's actually you know it's a fairly socialist country and always has been sort of thing mm. and that that scene to me that decision makes so much more sense because he's seen new york he's seen the west he's seen america he's seen the heart of america and what it sort of represents and he's rejected it and he said this isn't for me 
and there is that element that he has to go back in order for Irina to be able to say to stay. But there is also the element that he doesn't want to stay, no matter how much he loves Irina, mm. that he doesn't belong there. And, and that for me is so much stronger. It makes so much more sense when you have Renko in America. And it's also a nice reversal because we, we didn't even touch upon Kerwell, the American cop who does get embroiled uh, and so many layers to talk about him. But um, you, you see Kerwell and um, Renko working together in Moscow and then you get to see them working together in New York. So there's a little Oh, that would have been reversal. cool. Yeah, and, like we have shortchanged Brian Dennehy, but he's, he's, he's really good. Yeah, he, I enjoyed, he is really I enjoyed good, his yeah. performance too. Yeah. And again, he's a fascinating character in the book. And they, they they have got it right as well. You know, like, again, great casting. So should, should we sort of wrap up pretty soon? Or, or or do you want me to sort of touch on where, where Renko ends up? <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be good. Yes. What what happens after, after this? Okay. Well, um, after this, I mean, there are nine Renko novels altogether. And I, I actually reread the first three okay. which, before doing this. So this being novel number three, just for clarity. This being novel number one. Oh, okay. Interesting, because I I wondered whether this was a a subsequent one and they just chose this as... Because there just seems like there's more backstory. No, no, Gorky Park is novel number one. Okay. Okay. So so, so, this is how we're introduced to Renko. And he does go back to Soviet Union and the the implication from the film to a hero's reception, anything but in the books, when we realise that he's actually helped to escape out to Siberia by Prabluda, in fact. Nice. <laughs> uh, okay. And he ends up drifting through Siberia and we next see him and he's a second-class seaman, seaman, because, uh, you know, for pronunciation, uh, working on the, uh, the factory line of a trawler ship in the Bering Sea. Nice. <laughs> you know, and when a body... You know, a body is washes up in a fishing net, and the captain discovers that actually there is a former special investigator working gutting fish in the hold of his ship. Wow! And and and, and back he comes. It's all. It's it's as good as, if possibly not better than Gorky Park. They are both so good. And then the third book, uh, Red Square, is actually the fall of the Soviet Union, and and we do see the return of Arena in this book. That's actually okay, mm. it, and it's quite a nice place to end if you want a happy ending. Okay, <laughs> but, um, there are, but there are six more if you don't. <laughs> There are six more if you don't, and they take in Putin's Russia, um, uh, investigative journalists. Uh, uh, Renko ends up uh, in one of the books in um, the Chernobyl zone, or was it Chernobyl? <laughs> I don't know. You know, how should it be pronounced, actually? Uh, you know, so, um, but in Pripyat. So, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of fascinating things going on, and we do see... By following Renko, you do follow Russia from the late 70s, early 80s to the present day and all of those changes that have been. But I would just like like to just touch upon, whilst not mentioning him by name, because he probably didn't know the name, in Red Square, which was written in 1993 and is set, you know, right at the fall of he there are some quite prescient statements regarding the type of leader that will probably end up in. Russia again 
that are clearly predicting the rise of a Putin. Yes, yeah, sort of like a an authoritarian from the the former kind of K, KGB uh, infrastructure type thing. Yeah, and this from a book published in uh, 1993. I interesting. Believe. That is yeah. very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I have to say, like, for it's a, a really interesting aspect of watching the film when we're watching it is that the characters don't know and the film adaptation doesn't know that in seven years this is all going away and being able to move back and forth between the west and and russia is going to be a lot easier but in the film people like if you're separated by the iron curtain it's basically forever as far as being able to live to live together it's kind of like you might be able to visit yes you know that but at the end they're unlikely. saying goodbye they're saying forever. goodbye yeah and they don't know that that the soviet union is going away in less no. than a decade so yeah. that is a that is a very interesting aspect when you're kind of watching it from this far removed but yeah it you definitely i i felt i found the ending maybe a little bit forced but i i it still worked enough for me like i was moved but i kind of realized i was being moved if you see what i mean um yeah uh, yeah uh, uh, and again with you uh, so again in the book i feel it's so much more earned gotcha that that makes sense that makes sense cool well i think that's I guess there was a couple of things before we finished because I feel like we've been quite down on the film and I really enjoyed it. So there's a couple of things I wanted to mention that I really liked. Like I I really liked the opener. Just it's it's quite a simple cinematic technique but it was very effective was just the juxtaposition between like the happy scenes of skating with the ominous music. Yes, yeah, definitely, and and introducing our victims before they're victims without without yeah. a, without without the viewer knowing that they're the victims. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you you twig later, but yeah, that worked out well. There was also another thing I liked that the film respected its audience enough not to necessarily spell everything out. Like, there's one brief scene where you can see Renko working out who the victims are like he draws a diagram and he writes it in russian in cyrillic and they don't subtitle it so if you know russian you can see that he's writing victims and then he's writing the names and like a a question mark you can obviously see the question mark but it respects you enough to kind of go you can see from what he's doing that that's what he's doing rather than just going like we're going to spell it out and actually give you the translation that's interesting because in my copy that i watched you do actually get the translation oh interesting <laughs> so, that yeah. is interesting <laughs> uh, yeah so there you go yeah like uh but uh but yeah so who knows what they did on the original cinema yeah. release because <laughs> it's because you if you can't read cyrillic you won't get the names but you will see probably what he's doing yeah, from you the get context the point. yeah yeah and then he mentions the the name later and it's gone oh yeah that's the name i just read because i read <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah so okay so maybe that's not a point in the film's film's favor after all but you know 
<laughs> from the copy I watched. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay, on that slightly anticlimactic note, I think we should probably wrap up the, a- well, well, the actually, episode. Well, <laughs> actually, okay. I, think, I think very briefly. So if you were to give it a mark out of 10, what would you give it? I would give this uh, seven and three quarters. Righty-ho. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right, yeah. So, yeah, like a good, solid, strong review. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's very worth, worth your time. Definitely. definitely worth your time i give it uh, i give it seven okay and and i don't have the thing of knowing that the book is better so yeah 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 i yeah. i um it, it's a good film it's a great book that's okay yeah that's that that's that's it in a nutshell wonderful okay well thanks phil so much for coming on i've wanted to have you on for for ages and i'm so glad we finally got to do this definitely yes it's been great it really has yeah uh here's to doing the next one considering we live so close to each other that hopefully things will be opening up open up enough that we can do the next one actually in person yeah that would be great i would love that okay so that's all for this episode thank you very much for listening and Dasvidaniya, folks. Dasvidaniya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Okay, so a quick message before I go. If you're enjoying the Roos Files Unite movie podcast, there are a couple of ways you can help to cover the cost of running the show, if that's something you're able to do. The first option is donating roughly the price of a cup of coffee on our Ko-Fi page. The address for that is www.ko-fi.com slash Unite. The second option is by buying yourself a book from our bookshop.org affiliate site. I've pulled together a selection of Russia-related books that I thought looked interesting, and I've divided it up into sections to make it easier to find your way around. Whatever book you decide to pick up, 10% of the sale will go towards keeping the podcast running, and a further 10% will go to independent bookshops around the UK. To visit the bookshop, please use the affiliate links in the show notes to this episode. 
Alternatively, you can find them in the bio sections of our various social media pages. At the time of recording, our bookshop page is only available to listeners in the UK, but I'll let you know if that changes. Also, there is rusandsov.com, that's R-U-S-A-N-D-S-O-V.com, where you can get t-shirts, wall posters, coffee mugs, and more with a Soviet and or Russian theme. If you use the promo code RUSAFILESUNITE, that's all caps and all one word, at checkout, you'll get 10% off and they ship locally in the US, EU and Australia. Again, you'll find the links in the show notes. That's all from me. Take care and stay safe.